welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for December the 3rd of 2019. Of course, my name is Samuel Adams, and this is a daily gaming news podcast meant to bring you the hottest news from around the industry five days a week, Monday through Friday, on YouTube and podcast services around the world. So if you enjoy the show, you like what you see, hit that subscribe button on a platform of your choice and stay up to date. Now, with that being said, today we have some very big news to dive into. We have talk about YouTube's violent video game content policy change, then Riot settling a lawsuit that was filed late last year with a $10 million fund that is going to pay every female employee since 2014. Then we have talk about a follow-up to Insomniac's very successful Spider-Man PlayStation 4 exclusive, supposedly releasing in 2021. Then a Death Stranding sequel is also being talked about. Black Friday went big in the digital space, as well as physical, but we're going to be talking about the digital. And finally, today is the 25th anniversary of PlayStation, so we will talk about a note from Jim Ryan as posted on the PlayStation blog. Very exciting stuff, to say the least. And so, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's top gaming news. First off, YouTube changes rules on violent video game content to match movies and TV. Moving forward, the company plans to age-gate fewer videos. YouTube is making significant changes in how it will moderate content that shows video game violence. Starting today, the company says it will treat scripted or simulated violence in games the same way that it approaches violence in TV shows and movies. According to the company, the change means fewer gaming videos on YouTube will be age-gated, allowing more people to see them. YouTube does, however, note that it plans to continue restricting content where the sole focus of the video is on the violent content itself. We know there is a difference between real-world violence and scripted or simulated violence, such as what you see in movies, TV shows, or video games. So we want to make sure we are enforcing our violent or graphic content policies consistently, the company said by way of explanation for the policy change on one of its support pages. YouTube hinted it was working on a new video game policy late last month when CEO Susan Wojcicki said the company was trying to find companies who would be willing to advertise against more edgy content. In that respect, it is worth noting that the company has not changed its guidelines on advertiser-friendly content. Videos that show gratuitous amounts of violence will still go largely unmonetized. And so this is what we call a step in the right direction. And for those that have not been keeping up to date with the way YouTube has been handling uh, violence, it has been uh, a a bit of, uh, I would say, overkill. It's a bit of a tricky situation because YouTube has been hit with multiple fines. Google, of course, has been hit with multiple fines uh, over the content that is hosted on YouTube because of violence in this content, because of real-world violence. And so a lot of video game violence has been going unmonetized because, quite frankly, uh, the system has not been prepared in such a way that allows that kind of content to be safe from any kind of ridicule or to be grouped in to any other kind of violence. And so now with these changes in place, it seems like those that do want to post video game content that might happen to have violence in it uh, are much safer in doing so. Now, thankfully, the way that I create my content, I never really have to worry about this. I do have to worry about copyright. If I show video, I have had multiple videos demonetized because of showing a Pokemon trailer, for instance, because Nintendo uh, tend to be sticklers about that kind of thing. Uh, but when it comes to posting gameplay, when it comes to streaming, this is a very, very big deal uh, because now it's a little bit more lenient when it comes to just what kind of video game violent content you can actually post on the platform. Uh, so overall, very good 
good news here. And again, I think there is still much, much more to do uh, on YouTube's side with specifically streaming because it seems like there is still a very, very tight restriction on that space. But ultimately, Google is in the spotlight right now. I mean, whenever you have reps on Capitol Hill that are very, very big names in the company uh, defending the platform overall, you know that you're kind of in the limelight and you don't really have that much leeway. Twitch, on the other hand, although it is a massive streaming platform, uh, is not quite in the limelight in the same way that Google-owned YouTube is, and so it's a bit of a different situation right now. However, over the next three to five years, you could be seeing some very big changes in both spaces, but specifically today on YouTube, it looks like violent video game content is beginning to get a bit more free in terms of what can be posted. However, moving on, Riot has settled its lawsuit, will pay every female employee since 2014 with a $10 million fund. Riot Games will pay out a huge $10 million proposed settlement collectively to every woman who has been employed by the company at any time over the last five years. The settlement is one of the largest in California history for a gender discrimination lawsuit, says the plaintiff's lawyer. The payout, which was first reported by the Los Angeles Times, marks a sweet moment of justice for women at Riot who have been systematically disadvantaged working at the giant gaming company, according to a 2018 Kotaku investigation. Our report described rampant sexism at Riot, manifesting in its hiring and promotion practices and bro office culture, which sometimes encouraged harassment and gender discrimination. The suit filed in November 2018 also describes how women at the League of Legends publisher were paid less than men in the same or similar positions. A company of the proposed settlement, excuse me, a copy of the proposed settlement obtained by Kotaku notes that each lawsuit participant will receive some amount of money determined by their tenure, length, and status as an employee. One reason for the large sum is to make up for what plaintiff's lawyer determined was a significant difference in salary between men and women at the company. Ryan Saba, the plaintiff's lawyer, said in a statement that this shows that Riot is serious about changing the culture at the company. Riot told Kotaku in an email, we are pleased that a proposed settlement has fully resolved excuse me, to fully resolve the class action lawsuit against Riot was filed recently by plaintiff's counsel. The settlement is not, is, excuse me, another important step forward and demonstrates our commitment to living up to our values and to making Riot an inclusive environment for the industry's best talent. Riot linked to a blog post further elaborating on their perspective. Over the last year, Riot has undertaken several steps to mitigate its culture of sexism, including overhauling its recruitment, hiring, and promotion processes, offering clear job descriptions, removing problem employees, bringing them in, third-party culture consultants and a diversity director, appointing women to leadership positions and offering employees channels to offer feedback on their progress. In August, current employees told Kotaku that the company had made real progress in fixing its issues. Unfortunately, several said the progress was undercut by Riot's continued employment of senior male employees named in the lawsuit who, sources say, have exhibited harmful workplace behavior. Said one current employee, It's great that Riot has decided to compensate women for the abuse they suffered here, but their rhetoric about healing and moving on leaves something to be desired, she continued. It's difficult to heal and move on when you're faced with the reality that at the end of the day, Riot prefers to pay the women still here for the trouble of continuing to work with alleged abusers, end quote. And so what we have here is the end of a saga, or at least the temporary end of a saga, uh, that has been going on again since November of 2018. And quite frankly, this seems to be a pretty good way to end uh, this entire story as of right now. Personally, I think that there was something wrong with Riot, and I think that the gaming industry overall can have a bro culture feel to it. I think that it was a male-dominated space uh, throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, and now, as more women are breaking into the space as developers and as big executives, whatever they might be, uh, you begin to see... Uh 
people speaking out. You begin to see people talking about what uh, kind of disparities there are between men and women. You begin to see people talk about uh, the fact that I'm sure there are some a lot, maybe, sexual encounters that might not be favorable. There's a lot of stuff uh, that I'm sure has not made it to the surface right now. Uh, but I think people coming out and saying things, people coming out and talking about the grievances they have, is always something that is healthy. Now, unfortunately, a lot of companies don't allow any kind of outlet for that. Of course, Riot has made changes to allow employees to give feedback, but a lot of people that complain, their voices go unheard, quite frankly, because it hits upper management, and then upper management might throw that out the window. Again, I don't want to talk too much into that, and I'm not saying that was the case at Riot, uh, but I do believe that every corporate culture could probably be improved upon in some kind of way, shape, or form in a similar way that we see Riot being improved upon here. Uh, but with $10 million going to those that have had some grievances over the past five years, I would say things are on the up and up, and Riot is actually making some improvements, but again, hopefully more will come in the future. But an important story to keep you guys updated on. However, moving on to gaming news specifically, Spider-Man 2 is going to release in 2021 according to a report. Now again, this is a very, very loose report taken from a podcast. I want to make that very clear. But a sequel to Spider-Man may not take as long as some expected to come out. It's no secret that at this point, last year's Insomniac's Spider-Man reboot has been a runaway success and a critical darling. Sony even went and bought Insomniac Games, so a sequel to the game is all but confirmed. But when can we realistically expect Spider-Man 2? Well, according to Kinda Funny Games and Ron Khan, it's due out in holiday 2021, which would be three years after the original. Spider-Man 2 is probably not coming a PS5 launch, he said on a recent episode of the Kinda Funny Games cast. I think it's a Christmas 2021 title. I know too much about this, so I can't speculate too much. I think Spider-Man 2 will come sooner than we think, he added. So, that is the end of the article, that is the end of the quote, but I want to make it very clear uh, that Imran Khan worked for Game Informer, so he is an industry insider, uh, and on top of that, I do believe this is somewhat realistic, because again, Spider-Man came out in 2018, whenever you have the foundation laid, you have all of New York created, uh, you throw in a couple of new spots around the city, and boom shakalaka, new storyline, new character models, it's not that difficult uh, to make a new Spider-Man game, now that the original has been created from the ground up. Now, on top of that, uh, one of the examples of how good the PlayStation 5 can run uh, came from running Spider-Man on the PlayStation 5. Again, a PS4 title running on PS5, loading times like that, it's insane. And so I think that if you already have the base game running on a PS5, uh, then that would lead me to believe that any kind of building upon that foundation would be running just as well. So there probably isn't too much overhead here. Uh, in a way, it's kind of like Death Stranding. Of course, I am an avid listener of Colin Moriarty and Sacred Symbols, the PlayStation podcast. Uh, and on top of the fact that Death Stranding came out very quickly, it was also very polished. And that's because there simply wasn't much to do with it. Of course, you had to develop the world. You had to, uh, you know, plot out the map and whatnot. But overwhelmingly, it seems like a lot of the game is being created by the players themselves, which is something that's incredible. Uh, and that's why Death Stranding did not take that long in the grand scheme of things to create. And in the same way, I think Spider-Man 2 is realistic for 2021. Hopefully it's called something other than Spider-Man 2 because, oh, I miss Toby. Anyways, Death Stranding, speaking of which, 
is supposedly getting a sequel, according to Hideo Kojima, but it wouldn't be a direct follow-up, according to the man himself. He still wants to work with Norman Reedus, though, and who wouldn't? However, Death Stranding will not be out until next year on PC, but Hideo Kojima is already pondering a sequel and teaming up with its stoic star, Norman Reedus, though it's all hypothetical at the moment. Instead of waiting for the PC version, I picked it up on PS4, the author of PC Gamer said, but I'm still somewhere in the middle and thus don't know how comfortably a sequel would fit, but if the studio was to embark on a second game, Kojima told Vulture that he would start from zero. Presumably this means a new story rather than a direct follow-up, but he also said he'd like to work with Norman Reedus again, possibly in the sequel. The first game is effective in part because of so much of its novel, which is a sequel. Excuse me. The first game is effective in part because so much of its novel, which a sequel wouldn't benefit from quite as much, but it wouldn't have to be another sandbox courier game. Kojima has also said horror on his mind. What? Kojima has also had horror on his mind recently. I swear I can read. I'm legitimate. I can, I can do this. Uh, on Twitter, he mentioned his process for making horror and for the cinephile that means watching scary movies. It's a vague tweet, but nonetheless, a lot of people have jumped on it, hoping that he's returning to the genre. Though not on the level of PT, Kojima Productions' infamously terrifying Silent Hill teaser, Death Stranding has had its fair share of pants-wetting moments. Okay. I'd still love to see Kojima do a pure horror game, though, whether inspired by PT or something entirely new. At the moment, Kojima is not talking specifics, but given the reception to Death Stranding, another game in the universe seems inevitable. And I do believe that it will be inevitable. Uh, this is one of those situations where I'm not entirely sure that we need uh, a sequel to Death Stranding, because the game itself is so good, and I think it tells a story from beginning to end. However, I want to echo some of the sentiments that I've seen on Twitter in saying that to not return to the world would be very disappointing. Not that we need to, but that we want to. Uh, there's still so much to be explored here, and there's so much lore that is yet to be developed, and... It's just a completely and totally open world uh, that is not grounded in reality whatsoever while also simultaneously being grounded in reality. Uh, it's truly an impressive game. I've played probably uh, between 10 and 20 hours of it. I want to dive back into it when I get some time over the holidays. Uh, but wow, what an incredible experience this one is. And I would love to see a sequel. However, I do want to see this horror project uh, that Kojima is supposedly working on because that seems like something that many, many people would want to see, especially in the wake of what happened with the playable teaser, uh, which was the Silent Hill demo that has since been taken down from the PlayStation Network and is now pretty much legend at this point, uh, unless you have it installed on your PlayStation 4. Now, with all of that being said, again, nothing is confirmed as of right now, but it simply is on Kojima's mind, which means it very well could come. Then, Black Friday, of course, had a very big weekend, but the digital game spending reached a record $4.36 billion, up 13% year-over-year as digital interest continues to grow. Black Friday digital game sales reached a record high this year, according to Superdata, hitting a total of $4.36 billion from Black Friday through Cyber Monday. Superdata shares the digital spending for the shopping weekend rose 9% year-over-year thanks to major game releases such as Death Stranding and Call of Duty Modern Warfare, as well as to in-game content deals and major digital sales on digital storefronts. Free-to-play games accounted for much of this total, bringing in $3.3 billion in in-game spending, totaling up to 13% year-over-year. Premium PC content brought in $300 million. Though it accounted for a good chunk of the holiday revenue, Superdata adds that in the U.S., in-game spending made up 79% of all digital games revenue in 2018, a percentage that is expected to remain relatively steady in 2019. 
However, digital spending overall is expected to continue to grow, and Superdata predicts that with the advent of new subscription services like Stadia and ongoing ones like Xbox Game Pass, digital game subscription revenue will rise 47% from 2019 to 2020, reaching $1.15 billion next year. Uh, this is something that I wanted to talk about because, of course, I'm a Black Friday aficionado. I love the holiday it is a holiday, uh, and it's a very, very big deal for the industry overall because of how good the deals can be. Uh, one that comes to mind right off the bat is that most of the PlayStation hits were $10. A $199 uh, PlayStation 4 bundle is pretty much the best that we've seen so far. Xbox One had bundles as well. If you want to get into the gaming industry and you want to pick up some of the year's biggest games, Black Friday is the time to do it, but seeing everything turn towards a digital storefront or a digital front is something that's very, very impressive to me because it shows just how big digital is. Again, $4.36 billion from microtransactions to game purchases, whatever it might be, a very big deal to say the least. And on top of that, I will also say that I like going out and getting into the hustle and bustle of Black Friday, but at the same time, I will say that the crowds have been very, very small, uh, and they are increasingly shrinking as the years go on. I went to Target, there were probably 50 people in the store, which is not a lot. That's pretty much a standard Saturday, uh, all things considered. TVs were not being fought over, the PlayStation consoles were all there, pretty much everything was in stock, and I saw a lot of people echoing that sentiment on Twitter. Now, I will also say I saw some malls that were being ransacked, uh, but at the same time, very, very shocking uh, to see just how much digital is becoming a big part of people's futures. Now, with that being said, Amazon, totally different story. I ordered so much stuff on Amazon uh, that's going to be coming over the course of the next few days, so I would say that is playing a role as well. But finally... Today marks the 25th anniversary of the PlayStation. Of course, I believe that it's somewhere between yesterday and today. I'm not really exactly sure. Uh, today, we see in the first line of the article, celebrating 25 years of play. On December the 3rd, 1994, 25 years ago this week, the first PlayStation made its global debut in Japan. Starting from a humble beginning as an upstart within Sony, Ken Kutaragi and team delivered on a vision to elevate video games as a form of entertainment that everyone could enjoy and to make a platform for game developers to express their creativity. The original PlayStation sold 100,000 units in Japan on its first day and went on to become the first ever home console to surpass 100 million units sold globally. We struck a chord within the gaming community because PlayStation offered experiences beyond what anyone could ever imagine was possible with a home console. From the very start, we opened our arms to developers, providing them with the tools and technology to create beautiful, expansive worlds and to experiment with new ideas. That approach led to the diversity of games PlayStation is known for, a true hallmark of our brand across multiple generations of hardware platforms. Over the past 25 years, PlayStation has stood at the forefront of gaming, and I'm honored to have been a part of the team since the early days. As I was helping set up the business in Europe, I remember having to start from scratch with many things, from hiring employees to ordering furniture. Back then, we focused on catering to local markets to ensure that a gamer in Poland would feel a part of the broader PlayStation community just as much as someone in the UK or Japan or the US. Supported by passionate fans all around the world, our business has grown significantly and our focus on community is more important than ever. It's truly humbling to see fans who grew up on PlayStation passing down their love of gaming to their children who are now playing on PS4. On behalf of all of us at PlayStation, thank you for taking this journey with us and we can't wait to celebrate what comes next with you, says Jim Ryan. President and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment. 
So, <laughs> it's so beautiful. Uh, seriously, though, PlayStation is a brand that has had a very impressive run so far. Of course, it has dominated in terms of console sales. I believe uh, three out of five of the top-selling consoles, something like that, I could be wrong, are PlayStation consoles. And, of course, the PlayStation 4 is selling incredibly well right now. Needless to say, won the generation if you do want to pick a definitive winner. Uh, but 25 years of play has been an incredible milestone uh, because, again, I'm 22 and I have grown up playing PlayStation since pretty much I was about two or three years old. Uh, it will always have a spot in my heart. I love the brand. I love the consoles. I love what PlayStation brings to the table. And the games that we have had have been something that have... Uh, they've changed lives, truly. They have created careers. There's so much that can be said about the PlayStation brand uh, that can't be put into words. And so with that being said, I want to thank the guys at Sony. I want to thank the guys at PlayStation. And I want to thank everyone who has made PlayStation possible over the course of the past 25 years. And here's to 25 more because man, I do love PlayStation. But with that being said, that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. Of course, if you enjoyed this one, be sure to drop me a like down below if you are watching on YouTube, or if you are on a podcast service of your choosing, be sure to subscribe and stay up to date with the show. But until tomorrow, you guys have a phenomenal rest of your day. I will talk to you soon, and peace.